0: Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, marking the one year anniversary of the discovery of unmarked graves at the site of a former residential school in Kamloops, British Columbia. People have made pilgrimages here to pay their respects, to say they're sorry, to show their support. But you haven't yet had time to grieve To make peace in your hearts. Pierre Poiliev takes aim at the World Economic Forum. And that is why I've made it clear that my ministers and my government will be banned from participating in the World Economic Forum. And Jason Kenney says he won't be running again to lead the United Conservative Party. I'm sorry, but friends, I truly believe that we need to move forward united. We need to put the past behind us. It's Tuesday, May 24th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Susan Delacorte, columnist for the Toronto Star. Good morning, Susan.
1: Good morning, Mark.
0: So yesterday was an important day, obviously, in Kamloops, British Columbia, where many people gathered to mark the one-year anniversary of the announcement of the discovery of unmarked graves at the site of the former Indian Residential School. It was called the Kamloops Indian Residential School, uh, the prime minister was there and and spoke and and met with people. Uh, this is this was obviously a, a milestone event. Uh, as as we continue to come to an understanding of what happened at residential schools, there have been other discoveries since then, of course. But uh, tell me what your thoughts are about uh, what's happened in the past year since this discovery and how it's how it's changed a lot of things.
1: You know, the attention yesterday was on the politicians and what they were going to be saying to uh, to survivors and, and victims of, of residential schools. But I think the thing that happened a year ago and that we should remember, it wasn't the effect on the politicians that was the notable thing. It was how this drove the reality of residential schools home to Canadians in a way that... That probably they had not appreciated before. The the same way that the the refugee crisis with the uh, you know Alan Kurdi, the the young boy. There's there's something about a, a child and the, the body of a child and the bodies of these these kids. This this you know unnamed gravesite. I think that it, it was was seared into Canadians. So I'm interested and have been watching. You know what the politicians said they were going to do et cetera. But that conversation had already been well started. I'm I, I've been watching to see how much it influences the discussion among Canadians. And I think, you know, Trudeau did an interview with me at the end of the year last year where he said he thinks on, on reconciliation and residential schools and matters like that, but the tide has turned in Canada in a way that can't be rolled back. And I think if we want to focus on something positive, I think that's true. There, more people now know um, we're we're going to see more of these discoveries. There's not a lot the governments can do because they want to be respectful and let indigenous communities uh, lead these restoration efforts. So I think it's a time for stock taking, but not just the same summary, not just for politicians and governments, yeah. but for the people of Canada as well, too.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about the conservative leadership race. Um, a couple of interesting developments. First of all, Pierre Poiliev has said that if he is elected prime minister, he will stop members of his cabinet and others from participating in anything to do with the World Economic Forum. And and I, a lot of people have been reacting to this already, uh, saying that, this, it seems as though in his quest to win the conservative leadership, Poiliev is, is sort of capitalizing on many of the, the themes that have developed on, on social media uh, with, with sort of a rising out of unproven allegations about who's running the world and, and, and kind of straw men, uh, for lack of a better term. That, that seems to be uh, a component of his approach to winning the party leadership.
1: Yeah, and I, I I think we should take very careful note of this moment in Canadian political history because I, I cannot... It's been a long time, or at least in my memory anyway, where you've, not, where you've seen a politician not trying to calm down this kind of speculation but feed off it. You know, that the, the the conspiracy theories about the World Economic Forum are... They're right out there. You know, they are... Uh, Leslie Lewis, as well, is... Was on Twitter yesterday about the World uh, Health Organization too, and it's this whole idea that there is a, you know, a secret cabal of, um, of globalists trying to run our lives. And Joe Polyev is not trying to dampen it as many serious politicians would do. He's instead feeding it. It's 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 interesting to reflect on whether this kind of a campaign would have been possible with the pandemic. Hadn't happened, hmm. you know that. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a sort of a fragile mental health uh, condition going on in our our politics. So, is Pierre Polyev going to keep this up if he wins the Conservative leadership? Stephen Harper went himself to the World Economic Forum and sent ministers John Baird, who is, I believe, one of the chairs of Pierre Polyev's campaign, went several times to uh, to Davos, to the World Economic Forum. The, the leader of Ukraine went to the World Economic Forum this year to talk about it. It is, it is not a secret cabal. Its proceedings are in public and happen yeah. for the world to see. Um, I, I don't even want to talk about this much because it's um, it's so out there. But I am intrigued by the way Pierre Polyev has been trying not to dampen these out there theories or bring them into the same middle, but uh, feed off them as well, too. And I I, I can't think anything good happens of that. It, it should make him an unserious candidate for leadership, but we'll see. You know, it's... Uh, we're getting down to the wire now in, in attracting members, and yeah. clearly he's looking for for members who uh, believe this kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, and related to that, of course, Ed Fast was the conservative finance critic, uh, and he was critical of Poiliev's... He's a he's also a supporter of Jean Charet, one of Poiliev's rivals for the leadership, of course, and he was critical of Poiliev saying he would fire the Bank of Canada governor, and because of that, he left his position uh, in the shadow cabinet and the Conservatives announced that Dan Albus uh, will be replacing him. But again, it just speaks to kind of this broader question about the future direction of the Conservative Party, how far it's going to go in catering to some of the elements that might be supporters of of the party in the future.
1: Yeah. Uh, Ed Fast didn't say anything unremarkable in the world of sane and ordinary politics he said that it was he worried about uh politicizing the bank of canada governor and and all that talk and for that he lost his job and he's been replaced by somebody who has been with pierre paulia from the very beginning dan albus announced his support from the very first day it is interesting to see the way in which caucus then is already kind of trying to mold itself in the stamp of Pierre Pahaliev before a vote has even been cast, and a good three months or so away from from the leadership. I don't know what that says about the other campaigns or the health of them, but it it says something. Ever since I saw the first debate, I've been wondering about how this party puts itself back together again. After this leadership campaign, it's been scorched earth between the campaigns. They're calling each other vile things, and it doesn't look like whoever wins is going to welcome anybody who disagreed with them into the party. So we're already seeing this at the, in the in the caucus. Um, so yeah, I I'd, uh, I'd say again, this is a, a leadership race like no other, clearly, and the. The shuffle of a finance critic, even before a vote has been cast in the... It seems troubling to me, but...
0: Mm-hmm. All right, uh, let's talk about provincial politics for a moment in a federal context, because there are a couple of interesting things going on. Next week, there's an election in Ontario. The latest polls from a couple of different places show that... Doug Ford might be on his way to another majority government. There doesn't seem to be, according to one poll, a significant appetite for change or any momentum behind either of the main opposition parties in Ontario, even after last week's debate. Meanwhile, Jason Kenney is saying he's not going to run for his job. He's stepping down as the leader of the United Conservative Party in Alberta. So it's kind of interesting because here are two prominent conservative premiers in this country and... Uh, people who, at different times, have have been described as as uh, perhaps a more effective opposition to Justin Trudeau than anybody in Ottawa, and yet their careers seem to be heading in the opposite direction.
1: Yeah, my colleague Rob Benzie wrote a really interesting piece last week, talking to some people around Ford, and and you know they may be saying this self servingly, but they. And, and they're two different provinces. I don't yeah. know that what Ford did would be a success in Alberta, and Kenny would be a failure in Ontario either. Uh, but uh, their view is that Doug Ford changed. That Doug Ford did not cater to the far right. That you know, uh, uh, if there was uh, if there was somebody troubling or saying troubling things, what you know, the kind of things that Jason Kenny and his that taped co- and leaked conversation called the Lunatics. Um, Doug Ford dispensed with them in the view of the Ford people, while Jason Kenny worried about them too much. Now, again, different provinces. Yeah. But but the argument is is that Doug Ford is a very different premier than he was in 2018, and he changed to meet the times, whereas Jason Kenny sort of kept i'm not I, I think that's overly simplified and i think the provinces are very different but it is remarkable too what has been also remarkable i've been keeping track and i may have missed it over the long weekend but i still don't think we've seen with the exception of jean charret any of the conservative leadership candidates saying a word about jason kenny's demise hmm. which strikes me as as odd no um We've also seen conservative leadership's uh, candidates are staying out of the provincial election, which is nine days away, as you say. So it, we' in a strange situation right now this week where politics is really moving, and a lot is happening, but it is not happening in Ottawa which is just as well, because the power is out. Um. <laughs>
0: That's true. <laughs> yeah. The the uh, electrical yeah. power is out in many parts of Ottawa and has been since the storm on Saturday, and the the power, in terms of the, the people in positions of power, many of them are outside Ottawa as well.
1: They've all moved out. Yeah. The, the one, you know, if, if you wrote this in a novel, they'd say it's probably... <laughs> too obvious but i i was looking at the map of the most affected areas over the weekend and in, in some small blessing the places that were most affected by the convoy protest have been the least affected by the power outages interesting
0: yeah. But, yeah but it so but it certainly they, they has yeah it's one more one more thing in a, in an eventful year in little old ottawa so I there know, you go
1: i know yeah. yeah maybe live in interesting times
0: mhm all right, Susan, thank you so much for this.
1: Okay, thanks, Mark.
0: That's Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star.
1: The Queen was with you as Canada's history was written.
0: Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun argues, Prince Charles's visit to Canada was much needed. The Sun writes, The Prince of Wales and the Duchess of Cornwall only spent a short time in Canada... And while they don't generate the same media attention as the younger royal couples, it was still a visit that served to remind us of our connection to the Commonwealth. Things change so fast these days, and it has been reassuring to have the presence of the Queen as a constant for our nation and as a reminder of our traditions and values. The Crown has served us well throughout the history of this nation. It was important to see Charles and Camilla tour Canada last week to remind Canadians of this connection. In the Toronto Star... Katie Davy argues more women in politics would help safeguard access to abortion. Davy writes, Issues that impact women are issues that impact society. But some lived experiences are indeed unique to women. And the care and policies we need are often totally absent from the political conversation. It's why we need more women at all decision-making tables. We have front-row seats to the rapid unraveling of women's rights in America. And it's not difficult to see how it may influence events in Canada. We need more women in politics to safeguard this critical right, and other rights central to women's autonomy. In the conversation, Thomas Klassen argues, Antiquated thinking about old age hinders Canada's economic and social development. Klassen writes, There is nothing magical about turning 65. A reformulation of both working age and retirement is sorely warranted to strengthen Canada's economic and social development. A revised conception of old age would significantly decrease the number of people classified as old and would more accurately reflect the total number of people in Canada's working age population. A modern definition would also mitigate stereotypes of older workers and ageism while prodding governments to reform outdated laws and provide a boost to an economy often facing worker shortages. Now here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. In Vancouver, the Prime Minister will meet with a local family to discuss federal investments in housing. He will also speak with the media before joining the Premier of British Columbia for an announcement about the 2025 Invictus Games, along with Veterans Affairs Minister Lawrence McCauley. Later this afternoon, the Prime Minister will visit a food bank and meet with volunteers. Defence Minister Anita Anand will visit the Ukrainian Cultural Centre in Victoria, British Columbia. She will also visit CFB Esquimalt facilities and naval assets and the Esquimalt Military Family Resource Centre before taking part in a panel discussion on systemic racism and discrimination with members of the defense team. Northern Affairs Minister Daniel Vandal will take part in the Yukon Intergovernmental Forum in Whitehorse. Tourism Minister Randy Boissonneau will announce federal support for a wide range of initiatives to support the local economy in Edmonton. And in Vancouver, Official Languages Minister Jeanette Petipa-Taylor will take part in a news conference to launch Canada-wide consultations for the next action plan on official languages. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, May 24th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC. For coverage of all the day's events, our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.